So we are in a new series now. Uh, we're starting a new series called the uh, Songs of, I want to say it right, Songs of the Savior. And we're using a Christmas carol as a jumping off point uh, to talk about the gospel and uh, the good news of Christ, especially here in this season of Advent. And so the carol that we're using today is the one that was sung during the offertory, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I uh, just want to point out a few things, or I really want to use that as my jumping off point today. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, peace on earth. Uh, today's theme, as, as BP already mentioned in the, in the Advent calendar, is peace. And so we're going to kind of spend some time today unpacking that idea of peace on earth. We sing it a lot. It's in a lot of the Christmas carols. And so we're going to talk about that today. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this Advent season, which is so special. Thank you that we can come together as the body of Christ, Lord, and uh, worship you, that you recalibrate our hearts towards you and, and focus us on what is real. And we need that, Lord. Um, I pray that this morning you would teach us by your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So peace on earth, it's in so many of the carols. We call Jesus the Prince of Peace. He has come to bring peace to the earth, but there is a problem with that. What do you think that is? We don't really have peace, do we? A lot of times we don't see peace upon the earth. All you have to do is watch the news or read the news. I was thinking of that when I said it. You know, does anyone watch the news anymore? Uh, all you have to do is read the news or see some, some reels of the news, right? And, and see there's wars in Russia. There's wars in the Middle East. There's wars in Africa, in Central America. On any of the big cities of our country, there is gang wars taking place every single weekend. We have wars between the Republicans and Democrats, between the right and the left. Uh, we look around us and we really don't see peace. And Jesus talked about this. Jesus said before his second coming in, in Matthew 24, he said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. That's in, in referring to when he will come back. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And we do see that, don't we? All across the earth, we see unrest, and it's going to continue until he returns. But we don't have to look at the news only to see unrest, do we? We can look within our own relationships and within our own lives, and we see the absence of peace in many ways. I love uh, the quote from Winston Churchill from World War II when he was talking about England uh, defending itself. And he said this, he said, We shall go to the end, we shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and the oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight on the hills. A very famous quote, but we could say something similar, couldn't we, about our own lives. We shall fight at the Homeowners Association. We shall fight at the PTA. We shall fight in the office. We shall fight in our family reunion. We shall fight in the church committee and in the bleachers 
and we shall fight on social media, right? We could say that because we experience that. We experience this absence of peace. But Jesus actually said that even as a believer, you will not experience peace in this world. In fact, he guaranteed that you won't. And he said some curious things about it. Uh, In Matthew 10, he says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one's not unusual to us. Um, A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, our relationships with the world will be affected because our relationship with Christ puts us at odds with the world. In fact, at the end, he says something controversial. He says, if you love anyone else more than me, you're not worthy of me. And I think what he's speaking to here is he's saying there are going to come times in your life, in your relationship, where when your relationship with Christ will cost you because you have to take a stand. Many of us can think of relationships that we have, and because we are believers, there's a tension that we have with certain family members or people at our office or people at school, and we should not be surprised when those things take place. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, I have given them, meaning the church, meaning us, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as you and I are not of the world. We are not of this world anymore because we are now part of a different kingdom. We are part of a different kingdom. And that brings us to point number two, which is the story of two kingdoms who are at war. When you read through the scriptures, you will see a thread that there have always been two kingdoms. Uh, it's, it's interesting, you, you know, we think about if I, if I were God, I might do it differently. But the way the God of the universe has decided is he has set up a kingdom of his own that goes against the kingdom of the world. You see this thread starting even all the way back in Genesis, right after Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they, when they decided that they wanted to be like God and were cast out of the garden. It starts out with a genealogy in Genesis 5 with Seth. Have you ever wondered when you hit a genealogy, why is that there? Why when you're reading through the scripture, you're having your normal Bible quiet times and you're just trucking along on these interesting stories and then there's a long list of genealogies. And one of the reasons is Jesus is, or God is showing his thread of how he is building his kingdom that he started with a generation uh, where his uh, his word and his relationship went from generation to generation. And it started with Seth in Genesis 5. You may not remember Seth. He had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Cain was banished. And then Seth was born. And then the generations start to go from Seth. And they move on and on and on, all the way down to Noah. And Noah had three sons. Do you remember those three sons? Shem, Ham, and Bacon. No, it wasn't Bacon. It was Japheth. Shem, Ham, and, and Japheth. And those three sons, the genealogies in in Genesis 10 and 11 are written from them. We get the word anti-Semitic from Shem's name, right? From Shem came all of those who became Israelites. 
Ham and his generations, they settled in Egypt and all of Africa. Japheth and his uh, genealogy then goes on to settle and they become the Greeks and the Romans and the Europeans. And so we see nations coming from these families and God chooses again one family line which, of which he is going to build his kingdom. And so he takes a family through Abram and calls him Abraham. And that family then moves out from there and becomes 12 sons who become 12 tribes who become a nation. And then for thousands of years, God only really reveals himself to this one nation. It's curious, isn't it? Satan has reign and rule over the entire world, but there is one place where God says, I will set up a different kingdom. I will set up a different place and I will reveal myself to a different group of people. You see that Satan has this power. When Jesus comes on the scene and he is tempted in the wilderness and Satan takes Jesus up on a high mountain and in Luke 5 he says this, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him, that is Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. You see, there was just the kingdom of Israel, this little oasis where the true God was known and the rest of the world was in darkness. You see a little preview from the, from the back to the carol that we're talking about where it says, joyful all ye nations rise. Because you see, when Jesus comes, he does bring hope to the nations. The nations that were in darkness are now given hope because Christ came to bind the strong man and to plunder Satan's kingdom. And this is for all people. And when Jesus comes, the kingdom expands. It moves away from just the nation of Israel and it goes to all people groups, all nations, all races. We see this reflected in Colossians 3. Paul says this here, talking about the new kingdom of God, there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so now the kingdom of God, which has been at odds with Satan's kingdom from the beginning, is now beyond the borders of just Israel. And God expands what he is doing all over the earth. We are now a part of the new Israel. We are a part of a different kingdom that God is building between his people and the world. You see this reflected in 1 Peter 2.9, but you, again, Peter speaking to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a part of God's kingdom on earth. How do we respond to this? You know, one thing is we have to, we have to stop as Christians being upset when the world doesn't share our values. Because God, we, we're not a part of the kingdom of this earth. We are aliens. Jesus said earlier, right, that, that we are a part of his kingdom. We're the different ones. I have a, a guy in my, Josh Huggins is in my small group, and he was telling us a story 
that I love. It just had a profound effect on me where he and his son were at a neighbor's house and they were talking and, and this neighbor did not share their values, definitely lived a different kind of life. And as they were walking home, he, he, he talked to his son and said, hey, you know, the family, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And as they were discussing these things, Josh said something that I thought was just so profound. He said, you know, he could have just said, well, yeah, I just hate the way they are. I don't like this. But you know what he said? He said, we're the weird ones. You know, they are living and chasing after the things of this kingdom, of this world. But we're different. We are called to be a part of a different kingdom, of a different thing. That's why our values are different. That's why we value different things in this world and in this life, because we are not of this world and we're part of a different kingdom. So we see this ultimately wrapped in the, this statement of what does this peace on earth mean then? What, what does it mean if we don't have peace in our relationships always? If we know, in fact, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword, that at times our faith is going to cost us in relationships. We see wars and rumors of wars. What does peace on earth mean? The third point is peace on earth is peace with God. Right after he says peace on earth and mercy mild, he says God and sinners reconciled. You see, God saves us from himself. He saves us from the wrath that is to come. And so let's, let's take a minute and let's look at this wrath. Because of the holiness of God, he has to punish sin. Because he is perfect and holy, sin has to be judged. And judgment is coming. When Adam and Eve sinned, again, those battle lines were drawn between these two kingdoms. And this, is, this isn't something that we talk about a lot, uh, probably not as much as we should. We don't talk about it as much as the Bible talks about it. Let's look at a few passages. Colossians 3 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul says it again to the Ephesian church, for you may be sure of this in Ephesians 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, what? The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. When thinking about the wrath of God, I looked up Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, because I wanted just to kind of tap into this imagery. This is a famous sermon that was written in the 1700s right before, and, and really God used it to usher in the great awakening that happened in our country. Listen to some of the words that Jonathan Edwards had to say. He said this, the wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. So he's describing the fact that God is patient, but that this wrath is building and building and building until ultimately it will be let loose. If you go in your Bibles to the end, 
to when Jesus comes back, to what is called the day of the Lord, the fearsome day of the Lord, it gives a very different picture of Jesus. I don't know when you close your eyes and think about who Jesus is, you may imagine him in The Chosen, that new TV series where he's so gentle and laughs a lot. You may think of him as a laughing Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders. I love thinking of him like that. You may see Jesus with a child in his lap. Uh, you may see Jesus on the cross. There's a lot of different ways that we tend to picture Jesus, but the picture of Jesus in Revelation is quite terrifying. It talks about him with the heavens being opened up and he is coming riding on a white horse surrounded by the heavenly hosts of God and his eyes are like burning fire and his robe is dipped in blood. And it says this in verse 15, for from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with the rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That is the wrath that is coming. Jonathan Edwards again said it this way, thus it will be with you that are in an unconverted state. If you continue in it, the infinite might and the majesty and the terribleness of the omnipotent God shall be magnified upon you in the ineffable or indescribable strength of your torments. He doesn't pull any punches. R.C. Sproul said it this way, There is no place to hide from God. The wicked in hell are not separated from God, but only from his benevolence. His wrath is with them constantly. See, the truth of the matter is we don't like to talk about the wrath of God, especially at Christmas time. Back to Jonathan Edwards one more time. He said, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. You know, when he gave this sermon the second time, the reports are that people started to cry out and moan and weep. And they really stopped the sermon right in the middle. And, pe and pastors went out into the crowd and people just fell on their knees and gave their life to the Lord because of the way the Holy Spirit was moving as he was describing this. And that imagery, you have to admit, is pretty horrible. But the truth of the matter is that God did let that arrow fly. He let the arrow of his justice fly right into the heart of Jesus. This Savior, this Rescuer, who came at just the right time in history, and he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died the death that you and I deserve, and he gave his sinless life as a perfect offering, a perfect record to take our place and again, at just the right point in history, he climbed up on the cross and the arrow of God's wrath pierced him for you and for me. He rescued us from himself. Listen to Romans chapter five. Since therefore we have now been justified 
by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He's saying, we are saved by him from him. That is the peace that we are singing about. Peace with God. God and sinners reconciled. You see, when we're faced with this truth that Jesus took the arrow of God's judgment for you and for me, it should be the fuel that allows us to offer all of ourselves to him. When we think of the magnificence of this truth, we should say, how can I hold anything back of myself from so great a Savior? He must take it all. He can have all of me. How can I keep the truth to myself? This should motivate us to share our faith with our neighbor and with our friends and with our coworkers. This should help us to keep from being distracted at Christmas time by all the trappings and the presents and the parties and the things, the busyness that so gets into our system and keeps us from seeing the wonder and the beauty that the Prince of Peace came to give you and I to restore that relationship with God that he saved us from the wrath to come. Does this wonder, does the wonder of this truth not give us joy to sing? You know, the last, the last verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's a stanza that says this, Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just in awe of what you are doing, the fact that you have come to give us second birth, that you have come to give us life. And Lord, there may be someone here who doesn't know you today, who's, who doesn't... who now is thinking about the wrath that is to come, that they belong to the kingdom of this world. And Lord, would you draw them to yourself even now? That, that, that it's so simple to become a follower of Christ, to admit that you are a sinner, that you, are, that you have tried to do all of this on your own, and to put your faith and trust in Jesus and say, I commit myself, Lord, to live for you and no longer to live for myself. Lord, would you help all of us at Christmas to think about this great and amazing peace that you offer to us in the gospel. And all this we pray, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.